Well, the mathematician Blaise Pascal once said this, all of humanity's problems come from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, I don't know if that's a bit overstated, but I can't help but think if we could all just collectively have a few more quiet moments that we could solve a few more problems. And don't you wish that you had timeout authority over certain people? Like you could just say to someone, you know what? Go to timeout. You, you don't get social media anymore. You don't get to go talk to people. You need to go to your room and just sit quietly in a room for a while. And I, I can't help but think we could solve a few of our problems by just that ability. It just seems that we are running at this frenetic pace that we are trying to keep up. We, we have just assumed this is all normal. This is all the way it's supposed to be. And yet I'd like to suggest that this isn't the way God has designed us. This isn't the invitation that God has for us. I, I saw something this week that became a good uh, visual representation of what I'm talking about. And I want to show you this video. You may have seen this. Uh, this is of a, a, a wrestling match. And yet I don't want you to watch the wrestlers. I want you to watch the referee. Check this out. Some of you can relate. I, I, can, I can sense that. I, I watch this and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what, what's going on? And yet I realize that's us. We are sliding across the mat, trying to be where the action is, trying to be on the inner circle of whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. And we're gonna talk about this today. And so I wanna welcome you. We are so glad that you're here. As we continue this series, I wanna welcome you. Those of you who are watching online, so great to have you guys a part of this with us as well. Today we are finishing a six-week series called Legacy. And, and we're talking about what it means to have a legacy. And we're gonna be in our Bibles in Luke chapter 10. So I encourage you, get your Bible out and, and get to that spot with us. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. If you have an analog Bible, you can get that out. We're gonna be in the New Testament. If you've got a, an app on a, a device like a phone that has a Bible software on it, I want to encourage you to get that out and get your spot there. Uh, this is something I want to encourage you to do each and every week. Bring a Bible or bring some form of the Bible with you, whichever one uh, works with you the best, and we're going to use it every week. And so I want to encourage you, we want you to, to at least read uh, some of your Bible each and every weekend together as we explore the scriptures and go, God, what do you want to teach us today? And so today we're going to be in a story in Luke chapter 10. And I encourage you to get your programs out. If you've got a program, you'll see a, a paper in there you can take notes with and uh, write down things that you sense God telling you today. Uh, hopefully today is, is more of a practical message than, than I normally do, but hopefully you can walk away from today and maybe have a few things to explore deeper with you and God this week. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I don't know what Thanksgiving looks like for you, but I know that we have all different kinds of experiences with Thanksgiving. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's a painful time of, of missed family or family who's no longer with us, and, and you remember what it used to be. And so I want to be sensitive to that. For, for some of you, uh, you don't like your family. And so you came in here today, you're like, I survived 
Thanksgiving with my family. Well done. You made it. You know, you have about a month until you probably have to do this again. Uh, and so uh, maybe you had a great weekend. You had t- time to, to celebrate family and enjoy family. And, and, and all of, across that spectrum, uh, we're so glad you're here. But here's the thing that I'm most excited about is that today, well, I mean, not really today, but like now, uh, we officially get no flack for listening to Christmas music. Can I get an amen? All you Grinches out there who judge us all the month of November when we're listening to Christmas music have nothing else to say, Thanksgiving is over, let it go, all right? So now we get to just rock our Christmas music. I love Christmas music, so if you don't, I'm sorry, but we get to listen to it and blare it for the next month, and, uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, last week, we had an incredible weekend. Uh, hopefully you're a part of it with us. We celebrated the legacy of our founding pastor, Dr. George Powell. And it was incredible to look back on a life lived well. Uh, he's not dead, but just a, a life of ministry, uh, you know, that, that he served. And just this faithfulness for almost three decades. And you look at that and you go, wow, that's just amazing. And it really got a lot of us thinking about legacy, about what, what is the legacy that we're creating? And if any of the parts of the series or last weekend, you might have had this thought of like, what am I going to do to create an incredible legacy in my life? What am I going to do that, that people will talk about? What am I going to do? And, and we can put this expectation on ourselves. I'm going I'm to work so hard. I'm going to accomplish all these things. I'm going to do all these great things. And, and yet I would like to suggest today that that's not how you achieve a great legacy. I've been reading this book called Forgotten Among the Lilies, and the author, Ronald Rotheiser, said something that I thought was so profound. He said, few things torment us and are as destructive of our peace and happiness as is this problem. We have set ourselves the impossible, frustrating task of assuring for ourselves something which only God can give us. This is an incredible way of processing legacy. How do I create a legacy is probably the wrong question. Instead going, God, what would you like to do in my life? God, if I would surrender my story to your grand design, what would you want to do in my life? Now, this does not mean we become robots following some script. It means we learn to participate with the Holy Spirit in unique ways. We learn to realize that God has incredible adventures ahead for all of us if we would choose to partner with him. If we would choose to say, you know what, I, I wanna be a part of that. And yet for a lot of us, we go, no, I'm just gonna make it on my own. I'm just gonna create my own legacy. And so we are restless in the worst way. I gotta do more. I gotta be better. I got to, to leave my mark. I gotta keep up with everyone else around me. We are the referee sliding across the mat, trying to, to keep up, trying to stay where the action is, and it can be exhausting. Now, it's dangerous to be a preacher because whenever you're working on a message, uh, God tends to teach that message to you in unique and profound ways as you prepare it. So as I was working on this message just this week, I had one morning while I was out running errands. And uh, while I was running errands, I ran into two different people from the church. And I stopped and ha- you know, had a quick conversation with both and then got back in my car. And as soon as I got in my car, before I could even get out of the parking lot, I, I just sensed God saying to me, slow down. And I just sat there because it was such a, it wasn't an audible voice, but just a strong sense from God going, slow down. I just sat there and I'm like, okay. And 
And I just felt God going, what's the rush? Why are you so preoccupied? Why are you having to go so quickly? Just slow down. There are people who you can spend time with. Just slow down. And I'll admit to you, this is not something I'm naturally good at. I, I like moving quickly. I like going, going, going. And yet God this week is going, hey, you've got some things to, to learn. And so uh, this message really, I'm just going to preach a message to myself today. And hopefully you get something out of it because this is really something God's working on my own heart right now. And, and so I think we can all find something uh, today. But I want to look at a little bit of, of self-reflection today as, as we just take a moment and go, all right, how are we all doing? How are we all doing in, in, in that part of us that most people don't see? Uh, on the inside, we go, hey, how's my soul doing? Am I, am I doing well or, or am I running ragged? We're going to have some time to reflect on that today. And, and here's a, an idea I'd like to, to get us to think about today. The more we force our legacy, the less we accept the one God has for us. The more we force our own legacy, our own agenda, our own ideas, this is going to be how we're going to make it work the less we accept the one God has for us. And again, I don't mean to imply that God is just gonna make all your decisions for you. But, but I think God has an incredible adventure for your life. And the sad reality is most of us think, no, I'm not gonna follow that. I'll make my own and it'll be way better. And God's like, no, no, I, 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 could, I could do something pretty incredible with your life if you would just trust me, if you would just take my lead. And so I wanna talk about less about, hey, let's force our own legacy Let's, let's create all these great things and more of learning to sense what God is doing in our midst right in front of us. And so we're going to read in Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verses 38 through 42. And I, it's, a, it's a short story, but uh, I want to show you this story. I think about this story often because one of those stories that I have to constantly remind myself of as I experience Jesus in real time. So here's Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now this is classic older sibling behavior. Uh, if you are an older sibling or you have an older sibling, you can recognize the signs, right? Like, hey, I'm the one doing everything. Jesus, tell her to carry her weight. Tell her to do her part. Verse 41, notice Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. I love the tenderness of this reply. You know she's worked up. She's probably sweating. She's all agitated. Jesus, da 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 da, da tell Mary, da, da, and she's all agitated. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha. I, I wonder if sometimes that's how Jesus wants to talk to me. Jeremy, Jeremy, slow down. It might be helpful for you just to imagine Jesus saying your name this way to you. Just speaking tenderly, going, hold, hold on. I know you're worked up. I know you're agitated. I know you got all these things bothering you. Just slow down for a second. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I don't know what you expect Jesus to say in that situation, 
But I think about this story from time to time, and, and it's easy to, to, you know, go, oh, well, Jesus sided with Mary, so let's beat up on Martha here. Let's stop for a second before we go there. Um, here's the deal. Martha has a point, right? I mean, I can imagine Martha going, hey, Mary, dinner isn't going to make itself, right? We got Jesus here, God incarnate. Maybe you think you could help me for a second. Maybe you can, I mean, like, you can understand where Martha's coming from. These are legitimate needs. Jesus has come to their home. Imagine if Jesus comes to your house. Do you think you're gonna do a little bit of prep work ahead of time? I mean, probably gonna clean up a little bit more than usual, get the kids looking nice, get the meal ready. I mean, Jesus is coming over. Martha is worried about all these things. And notice what Jesus says where he doesn't get mad at her. He doesn't say, Martha, all these things are bad. And if we're honest, a lot of us, relate with Martha in the story. I, I relate more with Martha than I do with Mary. And, and I think you have to recognize that about you, if that's you. If you're a type A driven person, you can recognize Martha here. But here's what I learned from Martha because I so relate with her, that even good things can distract you from Jesus. Now this is a profound thought for those of us overachievers. Even good things can distract you from Jesus. How much easier would this be if, if Jesus would have said, Martha, none of these things matter. Why are you wasting your time on them? We'd go, oh, that, uh, she just chose the wrong things. But it's not what happened. She prioritized wrong. It wasn't that the things that she's worried about are bad things. He doesn't scold her. Why are you trying to, to be hospitable to me? Why are you making a meal for me? He doesn't chastise her for any of those things. He just says, Martha, you're worried about the wrong things. You're worked up about the wrong things. And I think uh, as an overachiever myself, there are plenty of good things that are worth my time, but not when they begin to distract me from Jesus in my midst. And so Mary seems to realize that none of these things are more important than the fact that Jesus is in her home. And so she sits at his feet and just enjoys him. We might say that Martha is distracted with good things, and Mary is focused on better things. Now, this is just kind of an obvious uh, unpacking of this passage, but this is a difficult decision for us to apply in real time because there are so many good things for you to spend your time on, and it could be those good things that keep you from the better things, from the things that Jesus is trying to show you in your midst. How do you learn to navigate that? I imagine there are many moments when Mary probably needed to kick it into gear a bit, that Mary probably needed to step up and be a little bit more engaged. But in this moment, she's able to choose what is better. And so I think about this for ourselves today. What good things are distracting you right now? If you were just to pray and go, God, just, just show me that. What good things am I worked up about that are keeping me from better things? I wonder what Jesus would tell you. I wonder what things he would illuminate in your own life and say, you are so worked up over this and you don't need to be. You are so consumed with this. See, it's a deeper way of experiencing Jesus that Mary's showing us here. Not in how we can be useful for him, but just in how we enjoy him and how we experience him. It's a, a pure form of worship. Not, hey, I'm gonna wow you, Jesus, with what I can do, but just... Jesus, I'm gonna be present with you. I'm gonna be here with you because you are in my midst. 
Now, the Greek word that is translated for the word distracted in English, it's the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. It's not a normal word. And the word literally means to draw from around. Okay? So if you take this Greek word, it means to draw from around. This is an interesting concept. Because the way it's describing distracted is this. That you have something in the center, and instead of focusing on what's in the center, you go instead all around the center. So Mary realizes Jesus is in her home. She is centered on that. Martha is distracted. She is drawing from around, from everything else around Jesus, instead of realizing, oh, Jesus is here. And I think about how often in my own life, Jesus is present with me, and what I'm doing is drawing from around him. On all these other good things related to him, and I'm getting distracted on the point that Jesus is with me. How would it change your day if you literally imagined that Jesus was present with you? That you stopped drawing from around everything else related to him, but just on him. If you literally imagined as you drove in your car that Jesus was in the car with you. As you sat in your office at work, you literally imagined Jesus was with you. Would it cause you to prioritize differently? Would it cause you to view your life differently? This is what Mary is able to do. I think it would slow a number of us down. And yet it's so easy to be focused on all the good things and draw from around. I read a quote recently from Alejandra Ortiz. It says this, Rest is a fertile space to grow in our trust of God. For it is there that we encounter that God doesn't need us. Now, that's not said as an insult to any of us, but just a reminder that God doesn't love you, God doesn't like you, God doesn't value you because of what you can bring to the table. He loves you because he created you and he thinks you're awesome. And he's impressed with you. And he's in awe of you and he delights in you. And when you realize that and go, God, you don't need me, you're not going to be wowed by my accomplishments, it allows you to experience him. In a different way. So Martha is focused on being useful. And Mary is focused on Jesus. On being present with him. And it makes me think in my own life. Is there a way I can be more like Mary in this situation? I'm wired like Martha. But is there a way I can choose to be more like Mary? And yet really it comes down to this word. This idea of being distracted. uh, Of how often we draw from around. How often we go and we worry about that which is good. Instead of realizing that it's something better. And so I want to ask today, how do you know when you're distracted? How do you know if you're distracted right now in life? I'm not saying right now in this moment, you're multitasking, thinking about something else. I'm saying like in general, how do you know if you're distracted? Well, I've learned in my own life that there are indicators that tell you this. There are signs you can start to notice and you go, oh, oh, I should, I should take note of this. I'm going too fast. Let me give you some indicators and see if any of these are true in your life or or maybe you've seen these before. Has someone ever asked you how you're doing and your first reaction is, oh yeah, I'm just busy, just busy. You ever thought about that? It's so common, we don't think about it. We, We say this to one another all the time. Oh yeah, I'm just so busy, so busy, so busy. And yet think about that for a moment. When someone asks you how you are, our, our natural reaction is to say, I am busy. That's who I am. That's how I am. I'm busy. What a terrible answer to a question. It is so normal we don't think about it. 
But, hey, I am so frantic. I'm not focused on anything. I'm just running around. That's how I am right now. And we wear it like a badge of honor. Check me out. I am so busy. I'd like to suggest that's not how God designed you. God does not want you to answer that question and go, I'm just super busy right now. That's how I am. My soul is busy. God's going, no, there's, there's something else. If you find yourself using that answer, you might be distracted. Another indicator you're distracted is when you start to get in trivial arguments with those people closest to you. You know, those really dumb arguments that you look back on later and you can't really explain, but in the moment, it makes sense to you. If you're married, this will likely happen with your spouse. Well, you will get in some trivial argument and you will be so passionately infuriated by it. And then you give it some time, you look back and you'll go like, uh, what? I think about one of the best examples I have of this in my life. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife was in a wedding and so we had flown to somewhere else and uh, we were a part of this and I don't even remember all the details. The most I can remember is, I think she invited some bridesmaids over to our rental house without asking me and I got really mad about that. I got so mad, I pouted the whole wedding. So like all through dinner, the reception, I wouldn't talk to her. I was, I'm like, I'm not dancing. I am not having fun and bringing this whole party down because I was so angry. I look back on that now and I'm like embarrassed to tell you that. I have no idea why I was that mad. It, in my mind, I'm like, there must be some other detail that I've forgotten because there's some great reason why I was that mad. And I don't think there is. It's just a sign about being distracted. You have those moments where you get these arguments, and you're like, what am I so mad about? And the moment you cool down, you look back and you go, yeah, that was dumb. That, that was pretty dumb. And maybe you can't admit it to your spouse, but you know internally that one was pretty dumb. It's an indicator that you're distracted, that you're running too fast. Your kids will provide another indicator. It, 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 you, when you're trying to raise kids, you need an incredible amount of patience just to do normal parenting. But then when you're running that speed and your patience is decreased, you don't have the patience for them. And all of a sudden they start setting you off and little things that they do just quickly set you off. They can be the, the easy indicators to you. You're running too fast. You're distracted. You're not the place you're supposed to be. You ever felt like you couldn't focus on something? I just can't seem to, to dwell on anything, so I just multitask. I just move on to the next thing. It's an indicator to you. You're distracted. You're moving too quickly. Maybe for you, you, you have some fear inside of you that is just consuming you. And it could be a fear specifically to your situation or, or your life, or maybe just a fear collectively of where the world is going or, or what's going on around us. That fear is an indicator to you. You're distracted. Because God does not give us a spirit of fear. And so when you realize that is what's driving you, that is what's controlling you, you're distracted. You're not focused on the presence of Jesus. Or I could just say a great indicator is just anytime you realize you're worrying about something, you're just worried. Why are you worried? Because you're not focused on Jesus. You're focused on something else. You're drawing from around. So we can say oh, there's lots of indicators, but the point is hopefully you realize you're going, you know what, I've... I might be a little distracted right now. I might be drawing from around some good things as opposed to dwelling on what is most important. Let me read what Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven say, and just let these words sink in. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Good luck with that. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody need some peace like that? That transcends all understanding. You can't explain it to someone else if you tried. But you know you've got some peace that goes beyond that. You get that when you focus on what is better. On the fact that Jesus is here with us. So how do we do this? How do we choose what is better? Now, normally I don't like to give lists. That's not really my style. But as I was praying through this one and thinking about it, I'm going, you know what? If I give a message like this and then don't give any practical examples for this one, all of us will walk out convinced that we're doing it and have no idea that we're not. And so I wanna give you some things that I have learned in my own life of when I realize I'm distracted, I realize I am worked up like Martha and I'm missing what's right in front of me. What have I learned how to do? Uh, I would give you these following suggestions and some of these might be helpful for you. So here's a couple ideas. When you realize you're distracted, you realize you're more like Martha than you are like Mary. Here's some ideas. Number one, go to bed earlier. It's just so simple. You know what happens when you go to bed earlier? Um, You have to make a decision that you're literally giving up on the day. Like, I'm done for today. I'm accomplishing nothing else. Like, I'm going to bed. I'm shutting it down. And especially if you go to bed before you normally do. It is an intentional decision you're making. I am shutting it down early today. Nothing else will get done. I'm not gonna exceed anything today. I'm just going to bed. And and I'm amazed how often I'll read, you know, self-help books or all all these advice that's going around and essentially boils down to two things. Either stay up later or get up earlier. You wanna get more done? You wanna accomplish this or that? That's all you have to do. Sleep two hours at night and you'll be phenomenal. You'll be a rock star. And you're like, what? This is really what we've arrived at. Just sleep less. Just don't, you don't need sleep. Just learn how not to sleep. I, I would like to suggest to you today, that's not healthy, okay? That's a sign that you're way too distracted. If you can't choose to go to bed early on a night, you, you, you probably have got some things you need to let go of that you are way too consumed by. Consider how crazy this verse sounds. Psalm 127, verse two, to our ears. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. That's dumb. I'm waking up early. I'm getting more done. I'm, you know, no, it's useless to do that. Could you be okay just to say, hey, I'm just, I'm just gonna call it early night tonight and I'm just gonna shut it down? Because you make a decision. I, I don't need to keep accomplishing more and more and more, I'm just going to rest in that. I once heard the pastor John Orberg say, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes you just go, you know what? Just gonna, just gonna shut everything down for a little bit and, and just be quiet and be still. And it is a choice you make to say, you know what? I'm not going to save the world today. I'm, I'm just going to be present and, and be rested. Another idea I have, quit something. Just quit something. We have become used to no margin in our life, and we think it's normal. 
And so we, we wear this as a badge of honor. Hey, let me tell you how busy I am, because I'm way busier than you are. Let me prove it to you. I got this, 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 this. And that's just normal to us. Well, that's part of what keeps us at this frantic speed, is we just have so much. What if you looked at your life right now and said, all right, I'm gonna write out every, every time commitment we have in a normal week, and we're gonna quit something. We're just gonna decide we're not gonna keep doing all these things. What would you do with that extra space? What would you do with that margin, that chance to, to, to catch your breath? I'm amazed how often people assume that our family must be doing more than we're doing. Oh, you, your kids must all be in sports. You must all do this. And it's like, nope, we're not doing those things. Well, why not? Because I, I can't go at that speed. I, I can't do everything that's important to me at that speed. We, we have to quit some of those things. I love the way the author Bob Goff says it. He says, every single Thursday, I quit something. I don't know how you keep that up, but it kind of sounds amazing to at least attempt. You know what I mean? Like every Thursday, let's pick something and just quit it. Um, but the point is, it just accumulates more and more and more. And maybe you seem to go, you know what, enough. I'm preoccupied with good things and I'm missing that, which is better. Another one would be take a break from social media. Now, some of you, you permanently have a break from social media, so it doesn't apply to you. For those of you that love social media, consider this. Now, I'm not against social media. I, I use social media. I think it can be used well. But just consider what happens to you emotionally when you use social media. Have you ever stopped to, to evaluate yourself? Because we have all different reactions when we're using social media. And I, I would say you could put them in three categories or three eyes. That look for these three eyes, okay? Here's the first one. Insight irritability or inadequacy? Insight, irritability, inadequacy. When you use social media, do you find that you're getting new insights? Because that's gonna happen. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I just read an article about this. Insights, that can be great. I, I love using social media for insights. But I also know sometimes it doesn't create insights. It creates irritability. I'm angry now. I'm bothered. I'm agitated. I can't believe so-and-so said that. I can't believe so-and-so did that. I can't believe this is happening. And you find yourself getting irritable or inadequacy. You realize, man, can't believe what, what Bob is doing over there. That's amazing, I'm not doing that. And then Sally just did, I gotta do more. I, I'm failing, I am not keeping up. And it creates the cycle that just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. So when you notice that you are experiencing emotions that are not healthy emotions on social media, either figure out how to change that, how you're using it, or take a break from it and go, you know what, I'm just gonna use it less. I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not gonna keep this cycle going. Also, just be mindful of how often you pull your phone out. I was amazed when I started taking note just on a normal day, when do I find myself pulling out my phone? I was amazed. If I had like five to 10 seconds of downtime, my phone came out. I'm like, what am I so preoccupied with that I can't sit still for seconds at a time without feeling like I need to have my phone? Just be aware how often you take your phone out and ask yourself, is that what you want to do? Because you're being present there as opposed to somewhere else. Is, is it worth it? Another idea, find a way to play. Now, this one is tricky because we are so conditioned that play is bad that even saying this, we're like, oh, I'm not playing. Now, look, there are people that abuse this, absolutely. There are people that need to work and they don't work and they just play all day and they abuse play. For most of us, I don't think we're in that category. I think most of us are going at such a speed that we would never even think to take time to play. We've got stuff to do. Why would I slow down? Why 
would I do that? And yet, there's something so healthy, and again, mentally realizing, I'm not going to be useful all the time. I'm just going to be me. And I'm going to, to relax, I'm going to enjoy the people around me, and I'm going to enjoy the way I'm wired. In his book, Essentialism, Greg McCown says this, Play expands our minds in ways that allow us to explore, to germinate new ideas or see old ideas in a new light. It makes us more inquisitive, more attuned to novelty, more engaged. As ironic as it sounds, sometimes when you say, I'm going to go play, you're better at everything else that you do the rest of the time because you are willing to just relax for a little bit. And yet, have you ever tried talking about the things that you like to do for, for play? It, it, it's almost like we hide these from one another because we want to act like, well, I, I work all the time. I don't, I don't need to play. I, I, I'm just all the time going. And, and, and we feel guilty about this. So at the risk of you judging me and totally missing the sermon, I'm going to give you some examples of ways that I play, okay? And so, again, if you judge me, you're missing the point. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at here. So I was thinking about this. In my own life, I love to read. Love to read. I, I love to read partly because it's good for my job, but partly I just love books. I love stories. I read fiction. I read nonfiction. I love reading. For me, the idea of retiring is just going to sit in a library all day long. Like that's all I'm going to do when I retire is just read and read and read. It sounds amazing. I love to read. I love to ride my bike. I have a road bike. I love biking. I love riding my bike with my kids. I love getting out and the air in Oregon is unbelievable, amazing. I love, you know, getting out and experiencing that. Here's one. I like video games. And that's hard to say because we as a culture so, you know, have this negative idea about video games. And sure, people abuse video games. You know what I've noticed? If I play a game, I'm just in a more imaginative place. I can play better with my kids. All these things. You have your own list of things that you would like to do. And maybe someone needs to tell you, it's okay. It's okay. God designed you to enjoy certain things. Don't apologize for them. Just enjoy them. Find ways to slow down enough and build play into your life. And yet we go, I I don't know about this. I don't know if I should. It's a sign we're just so distracted. We're so preoccupied. And the last one I would say is focus on being present in the moment. Do you know how often we are in a moment with our bodies and our mind to somewhere else? So we're physically present, but mentally we're thinking about something else. You might be thinking about what happened earlier that week. You might be thinking about what's gonna happen tomorrow, that meeting, whatever. But so often our minds are not where our bodies are. And then this is why we get irritable. This is why we get agitated. When someone interrupts us and you're deep in thought or you're, you're, you're thinking about something else, you're going, hey, I, oh, I thought you were here with me. Just try to be present mentally wherever your body is because that's where life happens is in the present moment. Be present with the people around you. Be present with Jesus who is in your midst, who wants to have you experience him in the moment. And yet sometimes it takes an intentional decision to go, you know what? I'm just gonna be here right now. I'm not gonna be somewhere else. I'm not gonna be thinking about something else. I'm going to be here. We're entering in to what is known as the most wonderful time of the year. And I personally think it is. I love this time of the year. And next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Short Stories of Christmas. And we're going to look at some of the the Christmas people that are in the Christmas story and look at the story from their point of view. And it's going to be an incredible series. I hope you will join us for each week of it. I hope you'll bring someone with you and yet you'll see it in a new way. And here's what I also know. It might be the most wonderful time of the year, 
but it's definitely the busiest time of the year. And you get into December and all these things have to be done. And there's, you know, we got to take a photo. we got to send out, you know, a Christmas card. And we have to buy presents for everyone. And we have to wrap those presents. We have to decorate our house. And, I mean, all these things, you go, oh, i got all these things i got to do. And then there's parties to attend and all this and all that. And it can be so incredibly numbing. And you're just distracted. You're running from one thing to another. What if instead of, of the normal Christmas that you do, you say, you know what, this year, I'm going to go into it not distracted, but incredibly present. I'm going to go into it not being distracted on all the things that are around Jesus, but just actually on Jesus. So my question as we close today is this. What kind of restless are you? What kind of restless are you? I would suggest that all of us are restless in one way or another. Every single one of us. We are restless. Martha was restless for all the things that had to be done. She was restless for the to-do list, for all those good things around what was really important. And some of us, that's how we're restless today. We are restless for more and more things that have to get done. Mary was restless for Jesus. She was restless to experience more of him. And those two kinds of restlessness are dramatically different. To again quote Ronald Rawheiser, he says this, we are restless only in a tired way, which drains us of energy, and not in a divine way, which gives us energy. See, when you are restless for more of the spirit and presence of God in your midst, that will not drain you of energy. It will fill you. It will restore you. It will give you that sense of I am complete, not because of what I will do, because of what God has done for me. And I have learned to embrace it. I have learned to accept it. And yet this is a, a difficult decision to make. The more we force our legacy, the less we accept the one God has for us. I pray that as a church, we cannot settle for what is good any longer. I pray that our legacies would be known for divine restlessness as we learn to choose what is better. So I'm going to pray, and in just a moment, our ushers are going to come forward, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Because communion is that moment we, we recenter ourselves on what is most important. We recenter ourselves onto the cross, where Jesus showed us what love looks like. He showed us what God looks like. God doesn't fight back. He doesn't conquer this. He goes to a cross, and he allows his own creation to kill him. And he does that on his own choice to show us how much he loves us. And so we go to this profound, bizarre moment on the cross. We go, this is what centers us. This is what gives meaning to everything else in our life. There is nothing else around. It's just this moment to go, God, show us how to be present. Show us how to live as people who understand this moment of the cross. And so I'm going to pray and our ushers come forward. And we just invite you to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, what he has shown us by his love on the cross. Let's pray together. Well, God, we acknowledge that we are restless. And some of us restless in the way of Martha. The list of things that have to be done, 
Many of them are good things. And yet, God, our desire as your church today is not to be consumed with good things, but to see what is better. Not, not to draw from around you, but to draw from you, from your presence in our midst. God, we want to be divinely restless for more of your presence, for more of who you are. As we look about our legacies, may it not be because of what we can accomplish, but because of how we respond to you in our midst. And God, as we look to the cross, this beautiful act of sacrifice and love that you showed us, that God is not angry, it's not far away, that you have become one of us and you have taken our sin to the cross. You love us that much, God. May we find our legacy in that and our response to your love and to your presence. We pray in Jesus' name.